0: Hi everyone. Welcome to the fullest podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Boswick, and today's guest is Dr. Thomas Cowan. and I am a huge fan of his, so I'm really excited to have him here with us today. Dr. Thomas Cowan has studied and written about many subjects in medicine, including nutrition, anthroposophical medicine, and herbal medicine. He's an author, has served as vice president of the Physicians Association for Anthroposophic Medicine, and is a founding board member of the Weston A. Price Foundation. In 2016, he and his family launched Dr. Cowan's Garden, a company that makes and sells organic vegetable powders to help people diversify their vegetable consumption. Hi, Dr. Cowan.
1: Hi. Thank you for having me on your show.
0: Yeah, it's so fun to have you on, and I'm looking forward to sharing more about you and your wisdom with our listeners. Okay. So I I wanted to start with, I was just um, telling you, I love reading your books, and I um, really enjoyed reading Human Heart, Cosmic Heart, and in there I learned a lot about your past and um, how you came upon Rudolf Steiner's work. So I'd love to learn... um, and have you share a little bit more about that and how you found yourself in the Peace Corps and um, just coming upon Rudolf Steiner's work there.
1: So, you know, I, I basically grew up um, in a family of my father and grandfather were dentists, and a lot of their friends were doctors, and it, I always had the impression that I was should be a doctor. I guess I would use that word. But I didn't really like it. I I just didn't think they knew much about anything. So I don't know why, but I didn't. And so anyways, I went to uh, university, and I just really didn't like that at all. And so I decided I didn't know what to do with myself, so I got out as quick as I could. And the only thing I could think of doing was teaching gardening in the Peace Corps. Eventually, I went to Southern Africa. Uh, Mind you, I didn't really know anything about gardening at the time, but they didn't seem to care, and I didn't really care either. Um, So anyways, I went there, and I was assigned to a small village, and I was sent there to set up their gardening program, and the only other expatriate there, non swazi was a guy who had— uh, he was a refugee refugee from then what was called Rhodesia, and he didn't want to serve in the army. And he had been trained as a biodynamic uh, gardener. So wow. he, he gave me a bunch of books on Steiner and biodynamics. And basically, because I didn't know anything about either of those and I didn't have much else to do, I started reading them. And, you know, for whatever reason, the whole thing made a lot of sense to me. And then eventually somebody gave me a uh, Weston Price's book on nutrition. And it was at that point, somewhere in about a year into my Swaziland, I realized that the doctor that I didn't want to be was not the only kind of doctor there is. And at that point, then it was a bit like a kind of floodgate because I realized that I actually was interested in medicine, not the kind of medicine I thought was the only kind of medicine, but I was interested in this kind of medicine. And so for the last forty plus years I've been looking into and studying and writing about what I would say is real medicine, not the usual sort of medicine.
0: Yeah. I I really like how you mention how you've always been curious, just ever since you were younger. And so I, I think that sort of curiosity is also what probably made you think that maybe they don't know what they're talking about, but then coming upon Steiner's work, it's all about observation and being curious. So I.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it's curious as much, maybe, but it's more. I had this, uh, I guess, an maybe unusual ability or maybe arrogance to trust what I was seeing rather than what I was being told. And then I found out that the sort of founder of Anthroposophy, which was Goethe, really not Steiner, he, he, his whole system of thought was based on observation. And the interesting thing about it is, you know, and I can give people examples. So, you know, you can say, Native people used to say they could talk to the trees or hear trees talk. And, of course, modern people say that's ridiculous because they and if you say, how do you know it's ridiculous? They say, well, I went up to a tree and I couldn't hear anything. And so they can't talk. Uh, And interestingly, there's a few assumptions there. One assumption is trees speak English. (laughs) Which maybe they don't. Maybe they trees speak some other language. And the second assumption is that the tree wants to talk to you. Uh, and that may not be true because you may not be somebody the tree actually wants to talk to. Uh, the third assumption is you don't actually have to do anything to to be able to hear trees, whereas actually, traditional native people used to say, you have to train yourself your whole lifetime to quiet whatever it is in you that allows you to hear trees. And only then can you hear them. You can't just wake up one day and say, I want to hear a tree. I mean, maybe that's true, but it doesn't seem to be true. And it's the same thing with, with anything in science. You actually have to, have to train yourself to trust in your observation and then train yourself to be an observer, and most people don't do that, so they don't um, they don't get observations, they don't know what to do with them, and as a result, they, they believe what other people tell them.
0: This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, a wellness company that is well known for its delicious mushroom coffee. Right now, chaga is my favorite functional mushroom, and the compounds and antioxidant properties in chaga play a big role in supporting our immune system and maintaining its overall function. So I'm a big fan of the combination of Chaga and Lion's Mane and Four Sigmatic's coffee, which is also third-party tested for mold, yeast, bacteria, and other toxins to make sure that they're only offering the highest quality product to their customers. I'm so happy to have worked out an exclusive offer with Four Sigmatic on their best-selling Lion's Mane and Chaga coffee. And this is just for the fullest podcast listeners. Receive up to 39% off their best-selling lions main coffee bundles. To claim this deal, you must go to forsigmatic.com forward slash the fullest. This offer is only for the fullest listeners and is not available on their regular website. So go to 4 slash the fullest. F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C- dot com slash the fullest and fuel your productivity and creativity with some delicious mushroom coffee. The full discount will be applied at checkout. I'd love to learn more about then the type, uh, the way that you see that we could practice medicine because to me, after reading your books, I think the moral of the story and what I took away from it is really about observation um and of course like treating the body holistically but i think really that what keeps come what i keep coming back to is just um observing more and not jumping to um any sort of conclusion based on maybe this idea of you know one size fits all approach to the things that we do so i'm curious how would you explain the type of doctor that you are or the type of medicine that you practice?
1: So I, I would say that I practice medicine. Well, I, I'm basically done practicing medicine now. So I did practice medicine based <laughs> yeah. on facts. And and the reason I say it like that is because a lot of medicine is based on theory first, and then they uh, essentially mold the facts To fit the theory And the the way I can explain this Is So, you know, a very simple example Somebody gets a splinter in their finger And then they don't take it out And then the next thing that happens is they get pus Now, if you go to mm-hmm. If you learn in medical school Which I did You learn that pus means you have an infection And that's bad So you get rid of it with antibiotics but anybody who's a sort of sensible observer of the situation would understand that the real disease or the illness there is the splinter and the pus is the body's attempt to get rid of the splinter and so only a misguided person would try to get rid of the pus uh, a person who's mm-hmm. doing actual medicine would either get rid of the splinter uh by himself, or would help the body's pus get rid of the splinter, and that would resolve the problem. So, that's one example. Another one is you see, I always ask the question to myself and sometimes to patients um, why is the body doing this? Because I, you know, I often <laughs> jokingly say the only thing I remember from medical school was the first day when the guy said, just remember that the dumbest kidney is smarter than the smartest nephrologist, which is a kidney doctor. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, as I showed in my heart book, the reason the blood moves in the body is because of the intrinsic properties of, of water in the blood. In other words, the blood flows. Now, if you, for whatever reason, you have a weak flow of, of the blood, and therefore you can't nourish the tissues and you can't get rid of waste products, the body will naturally increase the pressure in the the tubes to stimulate more flow. And that's what we call high blood pressure. Now, the point of that is the high blood pressure is actually not a disease as we're led to believe. It's a compensatory strategy to, to address poor flow. Anybody who views this honestly would come to that conclusion. And so if you want to solve somebody's problem with high blood pressure, all you have to do is stimulate flow and then their body will stop increasing the pressure because there's no need for it. Now, I'm not saying that having high blood pressure is a good thing. It's not, it means you have poor flow and you've put the body into a compensation mode. But that's the best the body can do, so that's what it does. And unfortunately, there's no awareness of that in medicine. So they give you drugs to lower your blood pressure, and then you're on drugs for the rest of your life. And the drugs cause other problems because they're not actually addressing the real issue, which is you have poor flow. And another example that you can see that is, you know, I show in my in the cancer book, in the, in the autoimmune and vaccine book, that our cells are made of gels. And in order for them to function, they have to be perfectly formed, essentially crystalline gels. Now, if you come along and dissolve some poison into that gel, if that makes it so that the gels don't work properly and the body doesn't work properly. The only rec- recompense the body has to that is to first heat up the gels so that they run, and then flush that stuff out through the mucus. That's what we call being sick. So being sick is a solution to being poisoned. It's not an infection. It's not because you were invaded by some sort of virus or bacteria. That's a superstition. In fact, the bacteria are there to clean up debris. And we mistake, we mistook that for the source of the problem. And so basically medicine is full of these mistakes. And I, I actually sometimes call them superstitions because they can't be proven. People just believe them because they don't really know any better. But anybody who's an actual observer of the situation can easily demonstrate that they can't possibly be true.
0: It's interesting because in some regard, I think people are coming along and finding this out. For example, like you said, antibiotic, right? I mean, people are seeing that routine um, prescriptions of antibiotics are causing a lot of issues in our gut. And I would say a majority of people that are interested in wellness and health and well-being are now realizing um, what's happening with that and how it's causing you know our bodies to not be able to fight off things. Um, you know these superbugs that are forming. I don't know if that's even you know is that's a superstition or not. Right now that I'm even saying that out loud, but
1: but see, but here's the problem with that. Most people would say, and even the so-called alternative community would say, the problem with antibiotics is that you you kill off the good bacteria and you make these more resistant ones. And then they cause all mm-hmm. kinds of trouble. And all all I can say about that is there's very there's no evidence that that's actually true. There is evidence that you know using antibiotics kills the, you know the beneficial organisms. But the role of bacteria in nature is to digest dead stuff or debris. In other words, if you have a compost pile and you put dead squirrels in it, you'll get bacteria living off the dead squirrels, nobody says the compost pile has an infection. And besides that, if you take those bacteria and you put them into a healthy compost pile, they don't they don't grow in the new compost pile, but they will grow if you put dead squirrels in there. And so even people who say, oh, well, it shouldn't take antibiotics because they cause resistance or whatever, they actually miss the very role of bacteria in nature. So if you have tonsils that are, you know, you've poisoned them or you've had metal in your mouth or use fluoride or something like that, that creates essentially poison tonsils or you don't eat good food, the bacteria come there to digest, you know, the dead stuff in your tonsils. They're not causing disease. And unfortunately, they are there at the site of the injury, but that's like saying, you know, because you see a fire and then there's firemen there, the firemen must be causing the fires. It's, it's actually kind of nonsense thinking. And that's where that's the difference between how I see the world and conventional medicine on the one hand, and, you know, 99% of the so-called alternative world. On the other hand, they see the world In the same way, they just, instead of antibiotics, they give you echinacea to kill the virus or the bacteria. And it's really, there's very little difference between the two.
0: That's so interesting. So how would you um, go about as, you know, an example, if you can give an example of how you would do it, maybe not giving echinacea, but what, you know, what sort of solution would you um, come up with?
1: You stop poisoning the person. Yeah, I mean, you can
0: solve the actual problem.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if if and the other thing is, um every situation is it's a unique situation. So yeah. I don't particularly believe in quote strep throat. I mean, there are people who have sore throats, and they often have a particular bacteria called strep, which is there. The strep is always there. It only will grow if it's being fed. So the issue is not whether the strep or not is is there. It's how and why or in what way you're feeding them. Because if you stop feeding them, they go away because they don't have any food and there's nothing there for them to do. And, that, and what you realize if you do real medicine is every person's road towards... You know, one is some emotional toxicity. One is they eat crappy food. One, I heard a story the other day of somebody who, you know, ate 20 fluoride tablets because they tasted like candy a day when he was a child. And he had braces and, and you know, was putting all kinds of toxins in his, in his mouth. And his tonsils got sick. I mean, <laughs> that isn't exactly rocket science. And yeah. so the bacteria live in there. So... To say here's what you do for for any disease is also a kind of nonsense because everybody's road towards what happened to them is an individual story and the way I see medicine is the job of the doctor is to find out what the story is and then based on the individual characteristics so what happened to you uh, then. You know, if it's the braces, then you get rid of the braces. If you're eating fluoride tablets, you get rid of the fluoride. And if you eat sugar all day, you think about eating real food. And it's not the same. And so to even say it's the same gets you into suckered into a whole different mindset, which isn't even accurate.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was in general, just, I, I was telling you about it recently was, um, I don't know if you know them, but Matthew and Terry Singlehart they own Vila Farm and um, Cafe Gratitude. They were in Northern California, not too far from where you are. So I, I assume maybe you've heard of them, but I was spending some time on a farm and I was um, given a little tour and they were saying how the conversation of human health should be the same conversation as soil health and climate health. And, um, I think that this is an interesting thing to bring up because obviously you're interested in gardening and you have your, um, your powder company. Is that still, is that still something that you're doing? Dr. Cowan's powders?
1: Yes, we still have, it's called Dr. Cowan's garden and we're going strong. We, we, um, essentially work with farmers. A lot of them are biodynamic. All of them are organic and and they grow stuff for us, and uh, a lot of them are unusual or hard-to-find plants and vegetables that I uh, think have a certain medicinal effect, and they grow them for us. We powder them and put them into jars and, and make them available to people. So, yes, I'm very interested in the whole connection between food and soil and human health, et cetera.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of times uh, people who are interested in the health conversation uh, who think that they're interested and maybe interested in the climate conversation don't realize the impact, even though maybe they personally eat like organic foods, they don't realize the impact of genetically modified foods on our environment and on our health. And I'm I'm really curious to learn more about that because I personally stay away from GMOs, especially, um, I don't want to give any to my son. And I know that there's definitely impact on human health, but I haven't really um, like dove into the studies or what it does. So I'm curious, you know, we're talking about our, the water in our body and the structure of it and how it's like in its fourth phase that it's sort of gel-like. I'm curious if um GMOs or if you know of GMOs also having that impact. Uh a similar I mean, I, impact.
1: I, I'm not an expert on GMOs. I, I you know there's some things in food and medicine that you know my my philosophy on food is if it wasn't here a hundred years ago, don't eat it. Uh, yeah. And so to a certain extent, I, I, don't, I don't look into it any more than that. I, of course, that's, I'm being a little facetious because I do look into it. But, yeah, yeah. but, but
0: i, I of speaking to it. You know, I understand.
1: You, you know, humans did fine. Animals do fine when they eat animal diets. You know, if elephants eat an elephant diet, they do fine. When humans as found by price, eat a human diet, they do fine. As soon as you start eating what he called foods of commerce or modern adulterated food, then people get sick. And there's all told number of ways of doing that. There's the way, the type of seeds, the type of soil preparation, the type of food processing, you know, no, no normal traditional people would ever eat like Cheerios or extruded grains or Grains yeah. that weren't soaked and sprouted or fermented or something. So there's rules of food, and they're all found in a book called Nourishing Traditions. And anybody who wants to know how to eat, just go to that book, and they'll, she'll tell you.
0: I think it's interesting because I'm— um, and I don't know if she gets into blood types or if Weston A. Price does, um, but I'm O positive. I'm Persian, so my ancestry— We just eat a lot of meat, Um, at least we eat a lot of lamb and I just don't like it at all and I've never liked it. And so I find myself, um, I'll sometimes have it like when I was pregnant, I felt like I should have some and I did, I used to be very extreme and I was vegan and I was a raw foodist and then um, I definitely understand the role of fats and raw butter and raw dairy. I love all that. But um, I just find that I don't like me, and I think about just medicine in general. Like you mentioned, the um, some people get sick just from the emotional aspect. You can get high blood pressure, so I think about that a lot. With um, you know Weston A. Price and all, just eating maybe in a way that you feel like I have to eat this because I've read that this is really healthy, and I need to do this because it's really good for my bones or it's really good for this. But then um, internally, you know, not wanting to do that. And I'm curious how you navigate that, um, you know, that conversation of what naturally you're inclined to versus what, you know, traditionally my ancestry has been um, eating.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't put any credence in the blood type thing. I would never use that as a guide to what to eat.
0: Okay.
1: And second of all, um, you know, we have a number of, I would say, actual epidemics in this country. Uh, But the most important one is people have very little, if any, clue as to what they should actually do. And so they defer all questions about their personal health and freedom to experts. And so they. read about what they should eat or shouldn't eat. And of course, everybody has their own opinion. And then they change their opinion basically every third week. And <laughs> nobody has any sense of when I eat like this, I do better. And so mm-hmm. they have to ask doctors and experts. And, uh, you know, that's the problem. The problem, it, I mean, we we have the most sensitive observational uh, diagnostic tool ever created which is called the human being and you know the the fact of the matter is which i've been doing now almost 40 years is once you commit to only eating real food over time you get to realize which of that food does best for you and which doesn't you end up with a sense of today i should eat more vegetables tomorrow i should eat more meat then I need to eat more grains, and all these people who say this is good for you and that is good for you and that's bad, et cetera. You know, they 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 have theories. Milk isn't good for you, but yet uh, Weston Price found that some of the healthiest people who've ever lived, fifty percent or more of their diet was dairy products, and so it's basically nonsense. And so we what our main epidemic we have is people have no sense of what they actually know about their life. And so they believe experts. And once you do that, you're lost. And the only way to reclaim that is to use yourself as an experiment. And with food, that means first you have to commit to only eating real food. The definition of it is in, it's not in nourishing traditions then don't eat it. Uh, (laughs) Once you do that, You will gradually get a more and more developed sense of what it is that you should eat. And then you don't need people telling you. And in fact, you would be repulsed at the thought of listening to somebody tell you what you should eat. And I'm always curious. You know, I have 80 year old patients who used to come to me and they'd say, what should I eat to have a long life? And I'd say, it's too late. You already had a long life. (laughs) <laughs> and they should probably eat what they already ate because that's how they got such a long life now the sad part for me is as an 80 year old you don't even know what you should eat now my guess is they actually do but they get people are so confused by so called experts that they, they they just don't even trust themselves and that's our epidemic You know, if you do this, I feel worse, but so and so Joe expert said it's good for me, so I'm gonna do it. And once you do that, you're sunk.
0: (laughs) So when people come to you and they have questions and they get in their head and they ask you, is how do you like you said this is how you reclaim it? But I I do agree that this is a huge epidemic and a lot of times people are perplexed by the idea of having their doctor tell them, well, you actually probably know better than I do. How do you get people to um, even tap into their intuition? Is it, do you think that nutrition is kind of the basis of that or the foundation of them trying to reclaim that? I mean, that, that's obviously what you said. But one, there, that
1: it's one thing, um, you know, the, the water in your body is another thing, uh, but mostly I try to, I tried to empower them because uh, I have a, a whole technique of how I interact with patients that gets them to tell their story. And what is usually becomes very clear in telling their story is that they knew what happened to them and they were only convinced that it wasn't true by a doctor who frankly didn't know. And I can give you stories about that. For instance, you know, I, I would often have uh, it, this was it's like a parlor trick I used to do. Somebody who's 65 years old comes in and they've got early onset of Parkinson's. So they have a neurological problem. So they come in and I, I didn't really do this, but I thought about doing it a lot before <laughs> they said anything. I would say, so when did you start the statin drug? Because statin drugs basically lower your cholesterol and the glue in your brain is the cholesterol. And so then you can't, you become quote unglued and then you can't remember anything or you have a disease like Parkinson's. But, but I don't usually say that and I'll say, so what, when did your problem start? And they'll say, well, two years ago. And then I try to make it very clear um, that before two years ago, they were basically fine right you with me yeah so and i i, I make sure that they hear themselves saying that and then i'll say so what happened then i mean they'll say nothing and i'll say you didn't do anything different not you didn't change your diet well yeah my cholesterol is a little high so i started this statin drug all right so what then what happened well then my i got a little weak and my muscles ached a little bit and I went to the doctor and I asked if it was the statin. He said, no, it doesn't really do that, so you're fine. So I went on. I thought maybe it was, but I, anyways, he must know. So I, So I just kept going. And then he told me that I should eat a low-fat diet because that would probably be good for helping lower my cholesterol. So I changed my diet and I started eating only plants. So then what happened? Well, three months later, I started, not you know, couldn't remember where I was going sometimes, and I forgot my keys. And now I have, you know, full-blown memory loss, and I don't know what to do, and so I came to you. And then I'll retell the story. Uh, so, And in case, basically in their own words. So in other words, what I'm hearing you say is you were fine. And then you took this drug that lowers the cholesterol, which is how your brain gets glued together. And then soon after that, you started having symptoms of neurological issues. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And then in order to, make, to accentuate the effect, you decided to only eat plants. Is that right? Yes. And then what happened? Then you got worse. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and at the end, they say... So, so Tom, do you think it may have something to do with the fact that I took this drug? (laughs) And so I didn't, I'm not convincing them of anything. I'm just telling them what they told me. Now, sometimes I have to help them by saying, you know, there is about uh, 50 or so published papers on showing the effect of memory or neurological disease and cholesterol lowering drugs. And then it's a very interesting thing what happens, and I'd say at least half the people, is they start crying. And I've often wondered over the years, why are they crying? Sometimes I've asked them, and they say they say the same thing every time. They say, I knew it was that drug, and I asked three different doctors, and they all said it wasn't, and then I just believed them. And wow. the important thing is they knew Everybody knows if you you just have to sort of ask people or get put people in a situation where they're they feel safe enough and open enough to tell you their story. And and I've heard so many times I knew it was that statin drug. I knew it was that, you know, a guy I remember a guy 13 years old, totally fine soccer player. He worked on used cars and then he goes in with his mom. He has a flu shot. A week later, he's got, you know, sort of paralysis from his waist down, and they called it Guillain-Barre. And then he goes in and says, was this because of this uh, vaccine? And they said, no, vaccines don't do this, even though it says in the package insert it can cause Guillain-Barre. So next thing you know, he's going on for the next two years, going to all these different doctors, weakness in his leg, can't walk properly. It's now five years later. He gets told by five or six different practitioners, doctors, no, vaccines don't do that. Again, even though it says it in the package insert, and there's very clear uh, studies that show that it does, and then you just tell the story back to him, and then I didn't say anything. He says, so do you think (laughs) it could be the vaccine? I say, what do you think? And then again, they start crying, and they say, I knew it was. I knew I never should have believed them telling me it wasn't and there you go then you have a friend for life
0: I totally agree with all of that I mean from I mean statins to vaccines and and I think that it's really sad that this has this becomes a controversial conversation when what you're saying you're not even saying anything to that person they're just telling you what they think. You didn't even say anything. And not that our, not that your conversation with them is controversial, but just controversial about bringing um, those things up, about statins causing these things or vaccines causing things that the insert says that they cause.
1: Right. I mean, we have a funny, uh, again, it's, it's we, we somehow have convinced people that their experience doesn't matter. and it's the studies that do, even though when you actually read the studies, they actually say they that exactly what they're reporting actually did happen. Uh, so it's it becomes this jumble of of ignorance and superstition. I, I don't know how else to say it. And that's what we have. and I mean, people are either gonna have to see this for what it is and wake up, or they'll just be able to be manipulated more and more by things that they supposedly don't understand and experts are telling them. And you know, that's a that's a dangerous recipe right there.
0: I mean that's happening right now, right? With what we're going
1: that is happening right now. Yes. And
0: not only is it happening with Um, just the level of fear that people are experiencing by just being afraid of being around each other, essentially, or around anyone, not in their household. Um, But it's also just with the mask thing. Um, And I I listened or watched a video that you did on Instagram. I really appreciate just you being outside in San Francisco and sharing about how important it is to take in fresh air and that you weren't wearing a mask. And I'm curious, Um, if you could speak a little bit to that, because, um, i I mean, I would say if I wasn't going to ask you the expert, right. And I was going to make my own decision, which I do. And I don't wear a mask. And the reason is I don't feel good when I wear a mask. I get a headache. I can't breathe. Um, it just, I get sick essentially because, and I, it just that's the way the mask makes me feel. Maybe I'm claustrophobic. Maybe it's these other things, but that's just it feels like I'm suffocating. So um, I'm curious, you know, what you would have to say about it and the importance of taking in fresh air and maybe not, you know, the carbon dioxide that I'm putting out.
1: I mean, the only thing I'll say right now, because that's a huge subject, and I've said a lot about that, and I I think if people want to know what I think about this whole situation, they should go to my website, and I have a bunch of webinars, and they can also uh, check out the work of a doctor named Andrew Kaufman on on this. So there's a lot of information that people need to understand, but I, I can tell you that the the science behind wearing a mask is, you know, it's, well, there is no science showing the benefits. So, you know, this is a very, uh, again, to, to do this in a, in a few minutes would be a disservice to the enormity of that question. So I would rather say to people that if you're really interested, you should look into, uh, what i what i've had to say about that there, I, there's a website drtomcowen.com you can also go to uh, uh AndrewKaufmanMD.com. those are two of the places where we've tried to really take a very clear and scientific look at what is really happening today
0: is this the first time in history that healthy people but this is happening that healthy people are being asked to do these things. I'm curious. The interesting
1: thing about the mask is uh, there's three categories of human beings who were, who have historically worn masks. Uh, One of them are shamans, particularly like native American shamans and they wore masks for two reasons. One was to change their consciousness. So they would, they would want to assume the consciousness of a, say, a fox for, because then they could see the world differently. And so wow. they would wear a mask of a fox, and that would change their consciousness. And sometimes it, they would also do it to make somebody else sick. So they would have you wear a mask, which they knew would change your consciousness, and then you, could, you were more amenable to their suggestions. Now, sometimes it was in the interest of healing you, uh, and sometimes it was not in the interest of healing you. They were used to make people wow. sick. So they're they're a very oh powerful God. tool because you become faceless, anonymous, and a little bit hypoxic, low oxygen. You you breathe in more carbon uh, carbon dioxide, so your your that affects how you th- the clarity of your thinking. And so your thinking clarity is changed. And obviously that makes you uh, susceptible to, you know, good or bad changes in how you see the world. So that's the first use. The second use of masks was uh, in the uh, in the South in before the Civil War. The slave population was often forced to wear masks when they were off the plantation as a sign of submission. So there's a long history of, you know, owners of people getting, getting other people who were their slaves or subservience to, to wear masks in order to demonstrate that they had no voice. And Mm -hmm. the third group of people who, who historically wore masks are bank robbers. Um, so oh, yeah. <laughs> I often joke now that I I called my bank and told them they should increase security because I've noticed a lot of bank robbers around. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if they did that, that... but uh, so I I think if you see yourself in one of those categories, then it's perfectly appropriate to wear a mask. I, however, <laughs> don't want to rob any banks—at least no time soon. <laughs>
0: what's it like being a parent to i i'm assuming 20 something right now no, we're, we're
1: that... way beyond 20. <laughs> we're really? almost we're almost 40 something
0: wow 40
1: no, something almost 40. So, wow so my wife and i have four children not together and i think the youngest is 33-ish 33 and the oldest is 38-ish. And we have six grandchildren.
0: Oh, congratulations. That's amazing. Yeah, so I'm curious. Um, you know, I, I watched one of your videos um, when I first started um, looking into your work, and it was kind of, I'm sure you know what video, the one that went viral, right, when COVID um, child in orders happened. And at the end of it, who said something along the lines of it's really difficult to be a human being and, and saying, I think we quoted and something about having a spiritual, um, you know, some sort of spirituality. And I think about that so much ever since I um, heard you say it, because it is hard, you know, and as you get older, I think you start to definitely tune into things or injustices and and you start to realize so much and i'm just curious how uh, what it's like to be a parent during this time um you know not just covid but before that how you instill the beliefs that you have and um and also surrender in a way where you know for me for example i can control everything my son eats right now but eventually it's you know it's really about empowering him to make the decisions for himself so is that something you found yourself doing right when you had kids or something that came later on
1: well the only thing i would say is any parent whose goal is to instill their beliefs in their child is a foolish yeah. parent
0: <laughs> yes
1: uh, children don't if they have any sense at all which most of them do they won't buy it um and so I would give that up. I would give up even the idea of teaching a child just about anything. Instead, what you want to do is live. And the children have an acute sense of who you are based on how you live. So if you say, do this, uh, but you really, or you tell them to do this, but you really do something different. If I was a child, I wouldn't listen to you. Um, so, so my suggestion would be, and what I've, what I've tried to do, which is of course very difficult with one's own family and children is you just live in the way that makes the most sense to you, whether it's with food choices or, you know, what kind of house you live in or what kind of work you do or anything you, and you, you, you can show that to your children. I mean, they'll obviously see it. And they can see make of it what they will. Anytime you say I'm going to impose or teach you or any kind of coercive effort to have anybody, particularly your own child, believe the world that you see, man, you're asking for trouble.
0: Because that's not how it works. I love that. That's a great way of putting it. And I'm going to tell you something really funny. And it's obviously because i am I was about to interview you, but I had a crazy nightmare the other night. And, um, you know, I don't know, we were all somewhere and the building that we were in, we were on the bottom floor. The building we were in was made out of metal and was caught on fire. There was some sort of electrical fire. And my first instinct was just, I freaked out and I said, we all have to get out of here. Um, the melting point is reaching and the building's going to collapse because we're on the bottom floor and you were there and you said something like, just wait, you know, let's observe. And it just, you know, I think that obviously not to say to not follow your instinct, but it just was the sense of calm that everyone needed to, to just remember, like, maybe that's something that we've been told or that you think is going to happen, but is that really going to happen? And I just really appreciate that about you and you just being someone that puts information out for people to look at and just to ponder and come to their um, own conclusions on. And ever since I just came upon your work, I just really, really appreciate that. And I, I really um, am so grateful to know someone like you is, there to empower people. So I just want to say thank you for being you, for doing what you do and also for coming onto the podcast.
1: Okay. Thank you. And yeah, I would say the the point I would take from that is, and I've told this to hundreds of people, like don't suffer twice. If your leg hurts, that's fine. That's suffering once, but don't think someday my leg is going to hurt. And then when your leg hurts, then you've suffered twice. One's thinking yeah. your leg is going to hurt, and the other when it actually hurts. Because sometimes it won't come to pass that your leg will hurt. And so then you spend a lot of wasted time and energy worrying about when your leg is going to hurt, and it turns out it never even happens.
0: That's a good point. Okay, thank you, thank Dr. Callum, we'll talk to you soon.
1: Okay, thank you, and good luck to you.